Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Today is Sunday, January 12th, and again, we welcome you all to the show. We thank you for supporting us. We thank you for the words of encouragement, for the words of motivation. You know, they're definitely needed. I received some emails uh, about last week's show, and, you know, hopefully, you know, what we discussed last week, we're talking about black nationalism, white nationalism, atheist front. Hopefully it gave you something to think about, you know, some information to process. At the end of the show today, I'm going to clarify a couple of points because I had a couple of questions about, you know, a couple of things that I said. I'll clarify that the last 15 minutes of the show. So, again, for those of you who have the archives out there, please go check out our archives. And, again, we appreciate you guys for your support over the past three years. April will make three years since we've been on the air. And, you know, we're excited this year. You know, we're going to have more shows coming to our venue here. So be on the lookout. Um, We're going to have a show um, dealing with, um, gender, sexuality, and all of that fun stuff. And we also have an LGBTQ show coming up. So those are two shows they were adding to our itinerary this year. So be on the lookout. More information is coming forth. And also we'll be webcasting um, later on this year. You know, that will start this summer. So you'll have the Black Free Thinkers webcast in addition to the podcast here. So, you know, we're just setting the expectations. We're letting you know we're listening to your opinions, and, you know, we appreciate it. And information that you need to know, 
the very last Sunday in February is the Day of Solidarity for Black Non-Believers. And again, that is Sunday, February the 23rd of 2014, Day of Solidarity for Black Non-Believers. And we would like to celebrate this all across the country. Donald Wright, who was the founder of the Day of Solidarity for Black Non-Believers, is anticipating 50 groups participating. And it doesn't even have to be a group. It can be a couple of friends getting together and having a cup of coffee. It can be something as simple as that. And so, you know, we're encouraging you all to get together. If you want to make it a day of service, you can do that as well. You know, if you want to go and volunteer at, you know, a nursing home, whatever you want to do, you know, it's just something. And it's not just for, you know, black non-believers. This is open to everyone. So we just want to encourage you guys to participate in some kind of way, send us pictures, send us stories, and again, contact Donald Wright. He's the author of um, The Only Prayer I'll Ever Pray is Let My People Go. So more information about that is forthcoming, but we just wanted to give you a heads up. Organizers, you know, um, again, get ready and let us know. Let us know what you're doing. On April 25th and 26th, People of Color Beyond Faith will be sending some representatives to Morgan State University for the Philosophical Atheism and Communities of Faith Conference. And this will take place at Morgan State University. Raina Rhodes will be in attendance. Dr. Hutchinson will be in attendance. I will be in attendance. And on Friday evening, we'll have a panel in which we will discuss um, solutions and social justice and what we have in common and what's needed in communities of color. On Saturday, Dr. Hutchinson will be giving a presentation. It promises to be a really, really good time, really enlightening, educational. And so we welcome you to come out, and more information about that is forthcoming as well. And we'd like to thank Dr. Joshua Stewart for the invitation to this conference. In October, October 11th and 12th, the People of Color Beyond Faith will be sponsoring our physical conference, and that will be taking place at CFI Los Angeles. More details about that to come, and, you know, there are going to be a bunch of us there, so, you know, we'll be announcing our guests and all of that, and we wanted to make sure that you were aware of that. In addition, now, this is the fun part. We are doing something for you, our listeners, people of color beyond faith. We are having our online, our virtual conference the weekend of Valentine's Day. So this is our way of giving back to you for that entire weekend, primarily Saturday and Sunday. We will be holding virtual um, conferences, panels, so that we can give you the experience of being at a conference because we understand that there are varying reasons why people aren't able to make it to these conferences. So, you know, we're thinking about you. We wanted to bring it to you. We wanted to talk about topics that interest you as well. And so... You know, we're just letting you know how much we care. Every Thursday at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, we have a Twitter chat. So hashtag POCBeyondChat. We are usually on anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes, and this is your way of communicating with us. So you can look for our Twitter page, which is People of Color Beyond Faith. But the hashtag we use for the weekly Twitter chat is POCBeyondChat. And we just talk about a variety of different topics and just want to let you guys know about that. On January 19th, next Sunday, we will be having our third webcast. 
And so the, the invite, the event invite will be going up this week, and we will be sending out the invitations for that. Everybody is welcome. And it will be our third live webcast for people of color beyond faith. So it's so much going on. And so we just want you all to know that you're definitely part of the family, that we care about you and we see you out there. And we understand that there are some groups that, you know, have been marginalized, but we're trying to balance that out and we're trying to get out here and put this information out there so that you know that you have a voice and that you're not alone and that there are many, many people out here that feel the same way you do and that look just like you and, you know, hey, but we're growing, um, we're encouraging diversity, and that's what we're doing right now. So those are our announcements for this week. So moving on, I would like to thank our guest today. Today our topic is Conversation with Dr. Anthony Penn. Now, you know, Anthony Penn, Dr. Penn, is a wonderful man. Let me read you his biography here. You know, he's an American professor, prolific author, and public intellectual working at the intersections of African-American religion, constructive theology, and feminist thought. Dr. Penn is the Agnes Cullen Arnold Professor of Humanities and Professor of Religious Studies at Rice University. He is also the founder and executive director of the Center for Engaged Research and Collaborative Learning in Houston, Texas, and he's the director of research for the Institute of Humanist Studies in Washington, D.C. He earned his Ph.D. in the study of religion at Harvard University in 1994. His dissertation was entitled, I Wonder as I Wonder, an Examination of the Problem of Evil in African-American Religious Thought. So... You know, that is our special guest for today, and, you know, we are excited about having him on the show, and he has a new book that is forthcoming, and the title of it is Writing God's Obituary, How a Good Methodist Became a Better Atheist. So, you know, we welcome Dr. Penn to our show today. This has been a long time coming. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Penn. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be with you. Excellent. Excellent. And we have Raina Rhodes on the line with us um, as well. She's our co-host for the day. And Dr. Penn, um, would you mind telling us about your new book? Tell us how it came about and if you could tell us a little bit about it. Well, I had been asked quite some time ago in a conversation with the late Paul Kurtz to think about an intellectual autobiography, but I didn't feel equipped to do it at that point. Um, And then some years later, an invitation came again from um, the uh, Skinner House uh, publishing wing of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And so that got me thinking again, uh, between the conversation with Paul Kurtz and the conversation with the editor at uh, Skinner House, I had done bits and pieces of my autobiography, um, short piece for this publication, a short piece for that publication. All of it informed everything else I was doing. And and we couldn't work things out at Skinner House. Um, And so then an opportunity came along to publish it with Prometheus. Um, And uh, so I, I took it as an opportunity to kind of think out loud about how folks transition from theism to 
uh, humanism, believing that there's something about my story that's shared by others. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. And so how does a good Methodist man become a better atheist? Well, it involved a growing recognition that everything I believed about theism in general and and the black church in particular wasn't accurate, uh, that it involved a lot of hope but without much substance. And again, it took a while to move away from that. I'd been raised in the church, and you reach a point where what the church says just becomes second nature. You don't think about it. You just assume it to be true because folks say it comes from the Bible, and folks argue that the Bible must be true. So you just embrace it. But as I became more and more acquainted with the rough corners of the world, it became much more difficult to maintain my theism. It just didn't seem to respond to the sorts of questions that people were actually answering. And so for me, it became a matter of what's most important, the integrity of life, trying to say something and do something that actually has positive impact on how people live in the world, or maintaining this myth, this tradition. And I decided people mattered more. Excellent, 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 fantastic. And I believe many of us, you know, came to the same revelation in our lives. And one of the things that I've been stressing to people, and this has just been my personal experience, because religion, you know, is so ingrained and intertwined in our particular culture. And like you said, it becomes second nature. You don't even think about it, you know, and and have certain sayings and certain beliefs, it takes a while to deprogram yourself, if you will, from those particular indoctrinations. And so, you know, how was that working for you? How long did it take you? Are you still deprogramming? I'm still deprogramming myself because, you know, a lot of times it's, it's subconscious, you know, some of the religiosity that is just intertwined in our lives, you know, um, whether it's having a conversation with someone else or some of the television shows with the movies, so, you know, how do you work through that process? Right. I mean, I think it's a matter of being sensitive to these issues. So I, I want to make a distinction. I think there are minor things that take some time to deprogram because they're just part of our social lives. So someone sneezes and you say, bless you. For me, yeah, that, that points to an earlier life but it's minor because it's not really influencing and affecting my moral vision and my ethics in the world, right? But adherence to other components of theism that actually determine how you understand the world, how you move through the world, those, it seems to me, have to be targeted first. I've also been working to make a distinction that isn't popular with everyone, but I, I still think it's a distinction to be made that from my perspective, the real target is theism in its various forms, not religion. That I understand religion as simply being the process by which people try to make life meaningful. But exactly. I see theism as an effort to ground life in the reality of something beyond what the senses can know, something beyond 
human history, human meaning. For me, that is a problem. But the simple fact that people try to make life meaningful isn't really an issue. I think humanists, atheists, free thinkers, skeptics all work in ways that try to make life meaningful. But we try to do that. We, we work to do that in ways that disregard the trappings of God or gods. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm glad that you made that distinction because, you know, you have people out here and we have, you know, people that are just transitioning into their non-belief or their agnosticism in some case, you know, spiritual or what have you. And so I guess my question to you would be to those that are newly transitioned or those that are questioning or those that have doubts. You know, what advice would you give them as they make this journey? First thing I would say is congratulations and recognize it takes time. Folks need to be gentle and understanding with themselves that deprogramming and rethinking the world without that cosmic safety net takes some time. It requires thoughtful activity, but it seems to me it also requires the company of the like-minded. And it seems to me that's where atheists and humanists have fallen short, that we've shaken our fist at theism, but we've not given folks who are transitioning a soft place to land. And so it seems to me that we've got to spend more time developing communities, whatever those look like, that allow folks who are transitioning to have a safe place to land, to think things through, particularly for folks who are losing family and friends over this decision. We've got to give them an alternate space, an alternate place in which to be and to be appreciated. But for those making the transition, it takes some time. It takes some time. So connect with folks who are like-minded, read, study, find alternate outlets. Exactly. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And we have a lot of young people out there because one of the things, one of the common things that I hear when people tell me about, you know, their stories as to when they started doubting religion or walking to their non-belief is that for many of us, it started happening in those single, early, you know, double-digit years. So, Mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age. And I know we have young people that listen to the show because I get inboxes and emails. Now, specifically to the people, to the young folks, you know, what would you say to them? Give them some words of encouragement today. I'd go back to the same thing. It takes some time. Find people who are like-minded. And it seems to me millennials might have an easier time with this in that there's something real about social media. There's something real about online connections and communities, and I would encourage them to take advantage of those sorts of opportunities. For young folks who are making this transition and find themselves in high schools and colleges, again, look for like-minded folks. Investigate courses that give you an opportunity to, to work through some of these issues. Take courses that help you dismantle theism, that help you think beyond the confines of theism, because in part, what young folks and and anyone making this transition will need is a new vocabulary and grammar for talking about life 
and for celebrating life. And they have to take every opportunity to develop this new vocabulary and this new grammar. And it can be difficult in the context of a country in which so much of our vocabulary and our grammar for describing and, and discussing life and life meaning is borrowed from theism. We've got to develop alternate opportunities, alternate languages for describing life, and folks need to take the opportunities that are made available to them to investigate. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And I agree, you know, the vocabulary, all of that, you know, getting the lingo down and, you know, finding people that are like you. And for some of these um, young people that are in college, you have the Secular Student Alliance, you have a lot of groups that are out there. So generally, right. them, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to any of us and we will redirect you to someone who can help you. Because I know we had somebody writing to us from um, South Africa, and I put them in contact with Debbie Goddard, the director of outreach at CFI, and she gave them some information for different CFI groups that were in Africa. This person had no idea, neither did I. So, you know, it was really exciting to be able to, you know, connect that person. So if you reach out, we definitely will reach back to you. That's the main thing we want you to know is that you're definitely not alone out here, that there are many of us. And, you know, Dr. Penn and Norm Allen and Kiro and, you know, Dr. Hutchinson there and a bunch of other people, they were out here by themselves for a while. So these are kind of like our pioneers, our trailblazers. But we have to pay homage to those that came even before them. So you have... Hubert Henry Harrison, you know, Joel Augustus Rogers, you know, Nella Larson and all that. Now, from that particular era, is there anyone mm-hmm. in particular that influenced you the most? Richard Wright. Excellent. Uh, and reading Richard Wright's Black Boy, Native Son, um, the uh, short story, The Man Who Lived Underground, it gave me a different way of thinking about the world, right, because so many folks believed and and having grown up in the church, I assume this, this was correct. If you didn't have God, you had hopelessness, right? If you didn't have God, you had no way of moving through the world. You couldn't make sense of the world. You couldn't be fully human without that cosmic underpinning. But in reading Richard Wright, he gave me a different way of thinking about this. He celebrated boldness. He celebrated humans trying to forge their way in the world. And he did that in a way that was comfort with mistakes, mess-ups, and failure. And I just found that deeply inspiring. So I'm still in conversation with Richard Wright. I read him regularly. There's a great deal that I've gathered from him. Excellent, excellent. Oh, wow. You know, that is wonderful. I never would have guessed Richard Wright, but, I mean, I loved his book. You know, Black Boy, Native Sons, all of his books were absolutely wonderful. So for those of you out there looking for something to read this week, you know, go out and read from Richard Wright. You can find a lot of it for free online. And yeah. so, you know, we encourage you to go out and do that. And so and he was you know, an atheist. Uh, exactly. Yeah, he was one of our own, you know. And there He's are one many, of us. You know, people. Yeah, you know, many people in the past that their atheism, that their humanism, all of that has been covered up throughout the years. And, you know, now that, you know, again, that this particular group, as far as communities of color, you know, atheism is growing, 
And so, you know, um, who would you recommend that people go out and read more of besides Richard Wright there? Oh, I mean, you mentioned Nella Larson. I think Nella Larson needs to be read. I'd also argue that everybody needs to read A Raisin in the Sun, that it's just brilliant, and it speaks to these sorts of issues. Uh, the literature is rich. And, and here's someone else who kind of helps us understand how to think about religion. I think this is important because my argument is religion as a way of making life meaningful will never go away. We will always have religion. Right. Now, theism will be altered and changed, but that is not the same thing as saying religion goes away. And so it seems to me it's really important to understand the kind of role, the cultural role that religion has played, that you can't dissect what you don't understand, right? And then exactly. too many in humanist and atheist circles think that critiquing religion is the end of the story. Well, you know, we ought to be more informed in that. We shouldn't demonstrate a kind of arrogance and ignorance that actually harms us, that we cannot critique and alter what we don't understand. But James Weldon exactly. Johnson who rejected God as a student, provides us with a way to think about how religion, in this case theism, has functioned on the level of culture, the kind of influence religion, in this case theism, has had on collective life. And he does that as someone who has rejected God. So I think reading James Weldon Johnson is also very, very important. Alice Walker, very, very important. Begin with the color purple. Right? Because yes. in the color purple, Seely goes from writing letters to God, believing in God, to writing to her sister, rejecting notions of divinity, a cosmic other, and embracing human relationship, human community. There's a whole lot we can learn from that. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, especially in communities of color, in particular the black community, religion has, is so intertwined in our community that it has become a part of our culture. And one of the obstacles that I've found is when talking with, you know, other people of color, black people in particular, when I start critiquing certain aspects of ideology of Christianity, mm-hmm. they take it personal. And when you try to explain, you know, why what you're saying isn't a personal affront, you know, we have to take into account that it has been so interwoven into our culture that people take it, for, you know, take it personally. And one of the things when I was reading Michael Lackey's book, Black Atheists in America, which is an excellent book, um, you know, he differentiated between white Christianity and black Christianity. And so one of the arguments that we have in this community that I've seen over and over is how can, you know, blacks or African Americans accept an ideology that was forced upon them in order to keep them docile, to keep them subjugated to the slave master, if you will. And so how is it that we continue to accept it now and Knowing that, you know, why is it that blacks, you know, will fight you to the death to a certain degree 
over this religion? You know, how, how do we overcome that? How do we start a dialogue without, you know, um, antagonizing or ostracizing the other person we're speaking with? Uh, let me say a couple of things. One, that it, it seems to me that there is something about Christianity, Christianity as it's understood in the modern and postmodern world, that is deeply African. Let's think in terms of some of the primary church fathers, folks like Augustine, a North African, right? So there's a kind of African influence on Christianity, and Christianity moves across the continent. The oldest Christian church the, is in Africa, right? Ethiopian Coptic Church, yes? I mean, so there's a a Christian presence on the continent. So, one, Europeans don't own Christianity. They've made use of it, but they don't own it, right? So that's the first thing I would say. Secondly, I'd, I'd want to say that even within the context of North America, enslaved Africans embraced Christianity for a variety of reasons, not all of them deeply spiritual and theological, Right, that one, Christianity provided some relief. Mm-hmm. And so they embraced it because it provided some relief. Secondly, it became a language. It became codes, signs, and symbols that could be manipulated to provide an alternate message. Right, so it's the same Christianity that enslaved Africans embraced that was used to inform and organize slave revolts. Exactly. Right? So it functioned on a variety of levels. That It wasn't all about enslaved Africans embracing Christianity and becoming deeply otherworldly. No, you had some enslaved Africans who embraced Christianity. Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, Gabriel Prosser, right? That there were some who were radicalized by the Christian faith. Now, the question for me is, even in light of this struggle that is informed by Christianity, is Christianity a good thing for African Americans? I'd still argue no. And I'd give several reasons. One of them, the primary one being that Christianity is premised upon a sense of suffering as redemptive. Right, that there's something valuable, something useful in human misery and suffering. And it's hard to be a Christian and get around that when the primary figure of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ, his mission revolved around suffering as an act of redemption. So you've got folks running around in this Christian faith who assume that no cross, no crown, right? There's something useful in their suffering. How in the world do you transform societies if you understand that there is something of fundamental value in your misery? Exactly. exactly. I, I don't think it's possible. Not, I also think that Christianity... Po- yeah, I also think that Christianity... Uh, in particular, and theism in general, distances us from our bodies. That is to say that Christianity within African-American communities has become a way in which African-Americans have been encouraged to dislike their physical bodies, right? Because the body becomes a problem to solve, that the body becomes the cage, the prison for the soul, for the spirit, that we don't have a deep appreciation for embodied bodies, for 
physical bodies and what they represent when we embrace the Christian faith. Why do I say this? In part because churches have done such a piss-poor job with issues of sexuality. Yes. Right? They've done such a piss-poor job with issues of sexuality in part because they have no appreciation for what these bodies are, how they give pleasure, how they receive pleasure. Think about it. This major symbol of the Christian faith, Jesus the Christ, is typically presented, represented as without a penis. That's true. If Jesus, if Jesus was God-man, dwelt in physical form, then this Jesus had a penis. But no one in the Christian faith is asking the question, within black churches, is asking the question, what did Jesus do with this penis? And as an extension, they don't exercise good and healthy conversations concerning sexuality. They say bizarre and nonsensical things like, don't do anything you wouldn't feel comfortable doing with Jesus in the room. What is that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We hear you, Raina. So, yeah. I, I, I know. I'm sorry. I had to, I had to laugh at that because it's true. It, it's absolutely true. And I think, it, I think, I think, um, you know, that was one of the things that started my mind to thinking that maybe the church wasn't, you know, wasn't, you know, really dealing with anything <laughs> real in my life. Because when you're a teenager and you go to church, you know, they're always telling you, like, don't do anything you wouldn't want to do with Jesus at the room. And it's like, well, why is Jesus worried about what I'm doing with my genitals? You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> or why, why assume that a third party is a barrier? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just, and here's the real sad thing. It seems to me, by and large, that is the best black churches can do, nonsensical advice. Because what happens within black churches when they start passing out condoms or give real advice on sexual activity, Right. That becomes a problem because they're supposed to assume Jesus is coming back immediately, so just hold off or wait until right. you're married. Now, that may not happen until right. you're 35, 40, but wait until you're married. Right. Or it may not happen exactly. at all. At all. Another thing that they never deal with in churches that I never, that I never really understood because, like, I would sit there and I'd be like, well, what if you never get married? They're like, well, that's just God's will. So, I'm, so I, as a woman or I, as an adult person, am supposed to – not have sex, deny myself sexual pleasure, even even self pleasure for the rest of my life because God hasn't decided to put someone in my life? That's crazy. It's you know, theological nonsense. Yeah. Or single ministries that involve well let's go bowling. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Because hitting, because because a strike is a replacement for an orgasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're gonna have a potluck. <laughs> yeah, we all know what happens at some of those potlucks. But <laughs> <laughs> they have no too. way. People are gonna be active, but these churches have no way of productively discussing sexual activity. Right. Right. Exactly. No way of doing it. No way at all, and they've been ignoring, you know, a lot of these issues um, in particular. You know, one of the disappointments that I have with the church in general, but in particular the black church, is with 
their denial, their outright, you know, um, ignoring the HIV-AIDS, you know, epidemic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's facing communities of color. And, you know, what I find is a shame is that with – now, there are some churches out here helping. There are some churches that are, yeah. you know, talking about sexuality, that are doing outreach, and that these are those are the exceptions. But I'm talking exactly. about the churches that only talk about HIV and AIDS one week a year because they receive grant money to talk about HIV and AIDS that particular week. And then they may only talk about it for 15 minutes. But, you know, members of their congregation are infected and or die, and, you know, they don't want to talk about it, or, you know, they'll say, well, you see, you don't die from AIDS. You die from complications of AIDS. And Mm -hmm. so when I talk to some Christians, I said, have you noticed that the number of cancer cases, you know, death of cancer has gone up? And I said, in many cases, you know, it's because of the complications of this particular disease. And, you know, with the churches, this is where they have failed, and this is where they have failed some of their young people, too, because I remember myself and some of the other young ladies in church, our sex talk was, well, you know, there are some things that you shouldn't do. And that mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was, you yeah. know, when it was time to take health in school, when it came to the sex education part, our parents opted us out. So we were some of the dumbest people ever because we didn't know anything. Yeah. They're doing a disservice to some of their young people. And so I believe that that is something that the church needs to, you know, re-educate and retool themselves on and start talking to these young people and start giving them back their agency, giving them back some options. But with HIV and AIDS epidemic that's happening and the numbers are frightening and it's an increasing um, you know, what advice would you give the church as far as, you know, at least addressing that particular issue? I'd say a couple of things. One, bring in experts. That the black, part of the difficulty for the black church is it's one of the few corporations that is willing to give people of leadership positions based upon a willing heart. Right, that most organizations require some expertise, but in the church, all you have to do is be willing. So it seems to me with these sorts of issues, bring in experts. Bring in experts and, and make a distinction between their theology and proper health care conversations. It also exactly. seems to me if, if black churches are unwilling to do this sort of heavy lifting, this, do this sort of work, then they need to change the PR because – Folks will often ask me, why are you so hard on black churches? What what about other churches? But black churches have made certain claims. They have claimed to be the black community. They have claimed to be the most important organization in the life of black people. Well, then do the heavy lifting and make a difference, a positive difference in the life of black people, or shut up and change the rhetoric. But again, I'd say start by bringing in experts and privileging healthy life options over theological agreement and purity. Make certain that people get to live full and healthy lives as opposed to simply protecting and preserving church doctrine and theology. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So that gives me a nice segue here because I would like for you to define radical humanism and also, um, how can humanists, if possible, work with progressive liberal churches 
to affect the change and bring forth, mm-hmm. you know, some of the social justice measures as well as what we just finished talking about was yeah. the sexual education into the black community. Yeah. It, it seems to me atheist and humanist organizations have typically been defined by a key set of issues, right? Advocacy for science, education, separation of church and state, and have typically ignored a host of other issues, or at least not given a host of other issues the same sort of energy and resource. Radical humanism, it seems to me, has been an effort to rethink that, that humanists have an obligation to push beyond issues of separation of church and state and deal with issues of justice in a variety of forms. The frustration for me is this, that humanism, by its very definition, ought to be concerned with quality of life, enhancing quality of life. And a key component of that should inherently be issues of justice. That should just be a component of it. Now, in terms of working with liberal, liberal theists, it seems to me that it's fairly easy that what needs to take place on both parts is a bracketing of the most confrontational dimensions of our identities and our thought and a preoccupation on the mission that these liberal theists and engaged humanists at their best are concerned with preservation of quality of life. And so we ought to be thinking of that overlap. What can liberal theists and humanists do to enhance quality of life regardless of our points of disagreement. That we ought to maintain, for me, this doesn't mean ignoring our points of disagreement, but simply recognizing that at the end of the day, what is most important is quality of life. And then we can debate and argue about this other stuff another time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, since, you know, humanism, atheism, you know, we're pretty much in our infancy now. And communities of color, you know, the numbers are going up, you know, the demographics, you know, you know, are showing that more and more people are moving over to non belief or at least agnosticism, if you will. So mm-hmm. I guess my question to you would be, you know, with that information furnished, would be, you know, what advice would you give us to start out, you know, because um, one of the things that I like to talk about is going out into the community and being an alternative. Now, you know, I see the church somewhat as, you know, the focal point, the community center of the black community, because, again, that's what they advertise and market themselves, you know, to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've talked about some of the social programs that they have available at the churches, so whether it's for the gas and light issue, which is a federal program, and a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't realize that it's a federal program that the federal government basically pays that church for office space and pays someone to sit there and put the data in for those particular programs. Um, with the food giveaways, they get it from the food bank, um, you know, and you know daycares and all of that. Me personally, I feel that those of us in the humanist, atheist community that are, you know, social justice activists, I feel that we should go into the community to start offering some of the same 
services. You know, it's a show that, you know, it's not just relegated to the religious community and that we should do more outreach to the community and let them know that, you know, show them that you can be good without God, without the proselytizing. Because Mm -hmm. you have people out here that, you know, want to eradicate religion, that want to eradicate the black church. And, you know, I agree with you that that will always be around. Religion will not be eradicated. But, you know, one of the arguments that I've had and I've put forth is if the black church is destroyed, hypothetically, then where will the people go? Because with the structural racism that's in this country, you know, it's already written into the public policy, you know, that keeps us behind the eight ball, which increases its wealth inequality. But if, if, the, if the center, the focal point is gone, the places where they know to go to receive help, where are they going to go? So I've gotten on the case of, you know, black atheists and what have you, because I don't a lot of outreach on our behalf into the community, do we have a responsibility to get out there and to help? Oh, most certainly. And I think um, for organizations that have the resource to do that independently, more power to them, they should. For others, it may involve trying to forge partnerships with liberal theist organizations and um, uh, communions. Uh, that can work. But I also think we we have to we have to understand African-American communities and other communities as being complex. That is to say, we ought to address those sorts of economic needs, but we also need to put in place strategies to address a different range of needs held by, say, the black middle class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right, because this is the thing. Black churches, like most denominations in the United States, experience a decrease in membership after the civil rights movement, right? And you won't necessarily get this information from churches because they maintain folks who have been dead for 10, 15 years on the church road because it, it was nice to be able to say, I've got 1,000 members. Now, 100 of them may no longer be alive, but you've got 1,000 members, right? So, but it is the case that there was a decline in membership. Now, this membership begins to pick up again late 80s, in part – due to the disillusionment of the black middle class. They had played by the American rules, right? Mm -hmm. They had embraced the story of success and had done everything necessary in order to be successful, but still encountered racism, cultural disconnection. They, They had played by the rules and moved to the suburbs and were realizing that something was missing. For many members of the black middle class, the solution was move back into black churches so that their children and so that they are culturally connected. They get to socially network, network in terms of economic opportunities, but learn African-American culture. So a whole lot of these folks joined black churches not because they bought the theology, but they needed the community. So the question becomes, for those who are in black churches kind of hiding out, what do we provide? Right? That kind of economic assistance isn't what they need. So -hmm. what do we provide them? That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. That's true. And, you know, just, you know, looking, because I, I remember when, you know, I stopped believing when I was younger, but when I got older, I had some friends that convinced me that I was looking at it through a child's eyes. You know how this conversation goes. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to church, and, you know, I was serious about it. 
and looking around and seeing, you know, what was really happening. And at one point I felt as though I was the only person playing by these almost impossible rules. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I left again and I was angry. And I was angry for a while, not only because of what I had learned in the church, but again, when you're talking about, you know, the middle class and playing by the rules and doing everything that was expected of you, but still yet not achieving, you know, what you wanted and what you, you know, what you needed. You were good, yet not good enough. But when you looked at the papers, you were like, you know, two, three times better than the person they gave the promotion to. You know, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know these, these types of issues here. But, you know, going back to what you were saying about the church, you know, I have to go here with you because I have you on the phone, but we have to talk about this prosperity gospel and the yeah. damage that it has inflicted on the black community. Would you care to elaborate on that? First thing I'd say is this. The prosperity gospel is a new name but an old strategy, right? The idea that proper spiritual living will produce material success and material advantage is as old as the spirituals, right? The same sort of equating of spiritual renewal and closeness to God to, spiritual, to uh, material acquisition is found in the spirituals as well. So this is an old theistic idea that has a new kind of boldness now, right? But it's an old idea. I, I think it's problematic on a variety of fronts. What's most damaging from my perspective is the fact that prosperity gospel lacks a social critique, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It doesn't provide a critique of structural forms of injustice. It doesn't provide a critique of structural ways in which folks are kept without mm-hmm. That's a major, major problem. The strategy is like this. It's winning the lottery. So for that individual who wins the lottery, or in the case of Prosperity Gospel, the folks who figure out how the Bible works and they get stuff as a result, right, this person who wins the lottery is doing well, but they're doing well within the context of a system that is still flawed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, you're right on it because I, I've always described it as a Ponzi scheme, as a pyramid scheme, whereas only the people on top are the ones that are, you know, benefiting from it. Yes, yeah, definitely a lottery. They're buying into it, purchasing into it, purchasing into it, hoping to win, hoping to win. And you're right, they're not addressing the structural racism. Mm-mm. They're not addressing, you know, the issues with, you know, public policies. You know, I did a couple of shows, I did a series, you know, on Michael Lackey's book, and, you know, I did another series in which I talked about um, urban renewal and how with the interstate projects and, you know, the Goldsuggerous, you know, intentions behind many of those projects and how it affected, you know, communities of color and particularly poor communities and how it's the same game being played over and over just given new names, and that's the same thing that's yeah. happening with, you know, with religion and, you know, going, you know, just kind of picking up off of that when you were saying that they weren't addressing, um, you know, the policies, structural racism, you know, we see some of that over on this side as well, you know, which I find unfortunate because, you know, I've, you know, heard different people speaking in the free thought atheist community and they're neglecting to address 
some of those same issues, but I believe that it's important that we acknowledge that because we have people out here that believe that all of the ills of the world is strictly because of religion. And they right. have taken into account that a lot of the ills is government-sponsored, if you will, you know, is, you know, um, written into the constitution of the country where only three-fifths of a human, you know, is written into the public policies disguised as states' rights, if you will. And so I believe that these are things that we definitely need to address, but we also need to educate people. So would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Now, it may make humanists and atheists feel good to say, well, all of the problems in the world are attributable to religion, but it's inaccurate that you've had some rather nasty, nasty death-dealing stuff done by non-theists. It seems to me the common denominator here is humanity, that humans are capable of doing some raunchy, some nasty death-dealing stuff, but we also have the capacity to do some wonderful things. So it really doesn't boil, I, I would have to agree with you, it doesn't really boil down to whether folks are theistic or not, it has to do with human potentiality, and that moves in more than one direction. That's been the problem with some humanists and atheists. They've gotten caught up in enlightenment assumptions of human progress is inevitable, right? The idea that if we embrace science and move away from superstition, it's all good. Well, this isn't how it works. Right? This enlightenment right. thinking is taking place within the context of a slave system. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And, you know, one of the issues that, you know, I'm starting to see, and again, you know, I've spoken about this on the show, is we have people that have left the church and that are now part of the secular community here. And they're bringing some of that religiosity, some of that group thing, some of those what I consider bad habits over to this side of the equation. And one of the issues that I see um, besides ignoring, you know, issues that need to be talked about, but I'm starting to see a cult of personality. Would mm-hmm. you like to address that? Yeah, I, I think that has been the case. I, I think it is important to have folks that we can point to and say they've done it well or they've done it first, but we run into a problem, a problem that folks within theistic circles have encountered, and they encountered it in the form of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr., that these folks become iconic in such a way that we don't see our own ability to transform the world because we're not like them. Right. Right, so we end up thinking in rather narrow ways, that there's only one way to get this done, and it's the way that Martin Luther King Jr. did this, or it's the way that Malcolm X did that. And we, <clears throat> we make a mistake if we in humanist and atheist circles set up the same sort of heroic figures to whom we can't measure up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Raina, did you have a question? Um, no, I don't have a question. I'm... I'm I mean, you're asking a lot of the things that I would want to ask him. You're getting there before I would. Um, no, I I just I agree with what you said. I mean, you know, a lot of folks in this community they seem to have the idea that you know if it didn't come from 
Hitchens or Dawkins or, you know, someone like that, that, um, you know, that it's, it's not as valid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it goes beyond sort of mere admiration, you know what I mean, and goes into a realm of sort of worship, you know, exactly. on a certain level. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, I can see that. I can see that, and that, that's a problem. Yeah. It exactly. seems to me, again, that what we have to do is encourage everyone to stay in their lane and do what they can, that everyone has a contribution to make. Everyone has something they ought to be doing to advance this movement. And anything exactly. that prevents them from fully engaging and doing what they can is a problem. Right. Exactly. And one of the things that I've been trying to stress to communities of color in the secular community um, is through the show is the atheist community is a direct reflection or a mirror of society as a whole. And so just because you are now an atheist, a humanist, um, freethinker, nonbeliever, what have you, that does not liberate you from being a racist. That does not liberate right. you from being a sexist. It does not liberate you from, from your white privilege. And so, you know, what I've been stressing to, um, you know, some of the white atheists as well as the black atheists is that, you know, we still have some of the same issues. And, you know, even though we're atheists now, but, you know, our community still holds some of the same issues. And we've talked about white privilege quite a bit on this show. And one of the things that I've stressed to them is we're still starting from two different points. Because with a lot of the white atheists, they want to focus on, you know, the math, science, you know, the separation Mm -hmm. of church and state. But with a lot of the black atheists, you know, we're still dealing with some of the same issues. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to feed my baby? You know, they're getting ready to lay off at the job. Well, they just hired me a year ago. Am I going to be laid off? You know, um, <laughs> you know, just just different mm-hmm. issues. And, and so, you know, it's just, you know, and one of the criticisms that we hear is because we have black in front of our names. So we've been accused of self-segregating, and, and that we should just be part of, you know, the main group, some of the bigger groups, but they're not addressing our issues. You know, I stressed it last week in which I said when the Zimmerman um, verdict was read, the only major um, atheist organization that made a statement was the American Humanist Association. No mm-hmm. other organization said anything when it came to the Supreme Court with the Voting Rights Act. None of them said a word. They're not addressing our issues. They're not addressing issues that are of importance to us. And so we feel as though we're being ignored, but yet we're being tagged as being, you know, separatists. We're being tagged as not wanting to be a team player. But, you know, for in many cases from what I'm seeing is some of these organizations, the only thing that they're interested in are, you know, having higher membership numbers, um, basically, um, attracting more minorities to their membership roles so they can get the dues and the conference fees, but yet they don't want to address our issues or work with us on matters that are important to us. So why should we, you know, go into their community and go into their organization when it seems as though they have an agenda, they have a plan, and we don't seem to be a part of it? 
we live in cultural worlds, and it seems to me humanism has to address the reality of different cultural worlds. And so my response to that is rather than trying to get black humanists, for example, to drop that qualifier, these larger organizations need to look inward, right? This is an opportunity for self-assessment. What is it about these larger organizations that doesn't get it done, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than pointing to these smaller groups, right, these groups that are being sensitive to racial and cultural dynamics, for example, rather than pointing the finger at them, these larger organizations need to be thinking, what aren't we doing? Right. Right. See, this is an opportunity to rethink themselves rather than saying get in line. Agreed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Exactly. Um, I just have a I just have a question. Um, and you know, I've, I've, you know, Kim and I have talked about this for a very long time. And um, you know, I, I I've said that part of my my feeling on why this community is very um, loath to deal with you know, issues of social justice and sexism and what have you, um, has a lot to do with sort of the very strong libertarian streak that seems to be going on in this community. I don't know. Is, has that been something that you've noticed too or, you know? I'm is, not – uh, my limited experience, I've, I've not come across that as being rather strong. My, my, mm-hmm. In my experience, it, it's been the case that these folks – are no better informed than theists are on these issues, mm-hmm. right? right? That they read a yeah, lot well, when it comes to science, right? Mm-hmm. They read a lot when it comes mm-hmm. to science but feel no obligation to read about issues of race, gender, these sorts of things. So they're, they're ignorant on these issues. Mm-hmm. And so they exactly. say things and do things based upon this ignorance, and this is what troubles me, feel justified Mm-hmm. and acting based mm-hmm. upon this ignorance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting, um, you know, how all of this is coming about. But, you know, again, you know, we're reaching out, we're growing, we're reaching out, and, you know, we're trying to, you know, like you said earlier, have that soft landing space for people, right. you know, that are transitioning out but also educating the ones that are, you know, that have been a part of the community, you know, are profiles out there. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's an educational process, you know, you never stop learning. You should always learn something new every day. And I know right. with myself personally, you know, I'm getting all of these books and I'm reading these books and I'm like, I never knew this. I never knew this. I caught myself getting angry on a few occasions and saying, why didn't anyone ever tell me this? And why is all of this information locked up in books and academia? And why Mm -hmm, isn't mm -hmm. there anyone out here sharing this information? And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I feel compelled to feel it's my responsibility to do this show and to do a variety of different shows so that we can get this education and this information out here. Because as I've told people before, there is no money in this. I'm not making money from this. I'm paying money for this. You know for what I'm doing, but you know, but I enjoy what I'm doing, and I feel that I'm doing a service for the people. And when I receive those inboxes and you know the emails from people, 
you know, stating that they're being enlightened and educated, you know, that's a reward enough for me, you know, to Mm -hmm. know that I'm making a difference in somebody else's life. And we just want to tell you that you've made a difference in all of our lives, and we want to tell you thank you and let you know how much we appreciate you. And we're looking forward to hearing more from you. We're looking forward to seeing you um, again because I enjoyed your last visit to Chicago. I, I anticipate seeing you in October in Los Angeles, you know, so, you know, let that cat out the bag, you know. We anticipate you being at our conference in October. And, you know, if there's anything we can ever do, um, and, you know, um, Raina and I will be contacting you to, you know, work on some collaborations like, you know, I spoke with you earlier about. And, you know, again, you know, um, we just thank you for coming and being a part of the show, and we wanted to give you the opportunity to tell us what you're working on, what's coming up for you, and to give some parting words before you have to go. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really honored. I've I've enjoyed our our time together. I've enjoyed this opportunity to chat. Uh, In terms of what I'm doing, I'm I'm continuing to uh, write on humanism, um, developing a book that looks at uh, humanism and culture. I think one of the underexplored but deeply rich dimensions of this conversation ought to be hip-hop culture, that there is so much that humanists could learn from hip-hop culture if we would give it the attention it merits. So I'm working on a project that explores explores that question, what humanism can learn from hip-hop culture. Interesting. I'll be looking forward to that one. Yeah, definitely, and I, you know, we'll talk, but I think I may have a couple of people that um, would be great for you if you're taking, you know, interviews, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know that would definitely be, you know, uh, great contributors to what you're doing there. I mean, even if you just interview them for your book, you know, get some of their input, there are a couple of young people, you know, in the community. Um, in particular, we have um, Marcus. Um, We have Siobhan and another young man by the name of Andrew. Those are three people that I know that are deeply entrenched in the hip-hop culture, and I'm sure they would love to speak with you about that. But, yes, definitely, you have your hip-hop culture, and we can't continue to ignore the young people, and that's one of the issues that's been happening with the church as well. They've been ignoring the young people, and that's why they're losing them in droves. And so I want to make sure that we don't repeat some of the same mistakes that have happened you know, with the church. And so, you know, again, you know, we're looking forward to that. You know, I'm really anxious um, about that because that's going to be a lot of fun, especially if you incorporate some of the old school hip-hop heads, you know, the ones that we grew up with, right? Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Dr. Penn, you know, any parting words for us? Any words of wisdom, sage wisdom? Well, just thank you so much. Persevere and stay strong. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, again, we thank you. And we thank you for supporting us, and we will continue to support you. We'll be looking forward to your new book. Guys, you can get that on Amazon.com. It's in pre-order right now, I believe. It hasn't been released yet. When is the release date? It uh, comes out uh, February 4th. February the 4th, right before Valentine's Day, so we can give them out to people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't want to get anybody's talk. You know, they want their their candy and their roses. (laughs) Mm -mm. But we look forward to, you know, speaking with Dr. Penn, we're going to invite you to a webcast later on this year 
So, you Excellent. know, we anticipate having you back with us again. And, you know, for that, we thank you and we appreciate your time. And, you know, you're welcome back to the show at any time. Just reach out and let us know and we'll make it happen for you, Dr. Penn. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. And you take, take care. care. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, man, that was wonderful. You know, we learned so wonderful. much from that. And, guys, you mm-hmm. know, he has a number of books, not just the new one that's coming out, which is, you know, titled Writing God's Obituary, How a Good Methodist Became a Better Atheist. He has quite a few selections out there. So you get a chance to go out there and purchase some of his books. And there are a number of articles um, of his um you know, on the Internet as well. If you go to the profile page for this show, I link to a few of the articles. I link to about four or five different articles. So you can go out there, just do a search for Dr. Anthony Penn, and he's talked about liberation theology. He's talked about, you know, black atheism, black humanism, black free thought. It's just, this, you know, a lot of material out there um, from this fine gentleman. So, you know, we... Um, appreciate, (laughs) you know, his time. We appreciate his knowledge, his expertise. You know, he's a friend of the show. And so, you know, that was just a wonderful conversation. And it's nice to know that, you know, he holds some of the same opinions we do and the advice that he gave to the people that are transitioning or newly transitioned into free thought and the young people you know, you're not going to get that every day. So, guys, you know, we want you to take it to heart. We want you to learn. We want you to educate yourself. You know, we want you to get familiar with these people because there are a lot of people of color in the atheist community that are not getting the recognition and the support that they deserve. So, you know, you have Dr. Mm-hmm. Anthony Penn. You have Dr. Sakibu Hutchinson. You have Dr. Norm Allen. You have Dr. Chris Cameron. You have Dr. Annalise. You have, you know, a number of different people out here. You have Donald Wright. You have, um, let me see, who else am I missing here? Um, you know, you know, charges to my head and not my heart. It's a lot of people out here that deserve recognition in, you know, the communities of color, and we want you to support them. We want you to read these articles. We want you to listen. If you go to the Infidel Guys, Reginald Finley's archives, you know, he has interviews with all of these people. Um, in, in one interview, he was talking with Norm Allen, Norm Allen about, you know, different pathologies, you know, in the black community. And it's not necessarily that there are pathologies in the black community. You have to listen to the interview to see how Norm breaks it down. And so, you know, we just want you to get familiar with these names. Like I say, you have Dr. Chris Cameron, you have Dr. Anthony Penn, Dr. Shakibu Hutchinson, Dr. Chris Cameron, I think I named him twice, Norm Allen, but get out here and get to know the people in this community. And while it's great to have other people, like, you know, you have Chris Pitchens, your Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, and they have a lot of important information out there as well, it's important for you to know that there are people in our community that are doing works that are just as important, if not more important, because it is culturally based and they understand what you're dealing with and what you're going through. In some cases, you may be dealing with some things, but you didn't quite know how to articulate it or how to put it into words. Sometimes when I'm reading their works or listening to their interviews, I I would say, that's what I was thinking, that's what I was feeling, but I just didn't know what to call it. 
I didn't know how to mm-hmm. articulate it. And so, and why are these people in my head? I was just thinking that, you know, or or they, you know, articulated it just so beautifully, you know. And so, guys, you know, we just want you to be supportive because, you know, these are people that are writing books. These are people that are out here, you know, stumping, you know, basically going to these conferences, and they're the voices, you know, of our community. You know, now we're individuals and we speak for ourselves, of course, but we have people out here that can relate to us, that have, you know, you know, dealt with some of the same issues that we have. And I just think it's important that we know and that we let them know that how much we care about them and we appreciate them being pioneers and, you know, blazing new trails for those of us that are coming behind them. Because that's part of radical humanism is, you know, taking the works of and, and the efforts and the successes of the people that were ahead of us and building on top of that. So, right. you know, um, it's just important for you all to understand it. I think we have a call here. Is this Deborah? Let me see here. Uh-huh. Is that you, Deborah? Yeah, hi, hey, Deborah. Good. good. How are you? Hey, Deborah. Good. That's good. good. That's good. Okay, <laughs> but yes, yeah. but no, without the pen, that was, you know, absolutely wonderful, and I know that you all learned from it because I learned quite a bit from it as well, and, you oh, know, yeah. definitely we want you to go and research when he was talking about um, the black church and how it doesn't, you know, necessarily value the body, and when he was talking right. about how the black church values or views Jesus, as, you know, being a non-sexual, asexual being when, you know, so what happened to his penis, right? And so, you know, (laughs) when you look at it it in that context, it actually puts quite a few things in perspective. Would you not agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Absolutely. It's why why they expect that you can, you know, you can be um, asexual essentially, you know? Yeah. Yes, it's exactly, exactly. That's why they expect you to be asexual and to be able to abstain until marriage or what have you, when that's not necessarily the case because, you know, again, in many of the churches that I've been involved with, it's do as I say but not do as I do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, while the adults are running around playing Peyton Place, they're telling the children to abstain, but the kids see everything that's happening. You know, and see what's happening with the adults. But, again, you know, guys, you know, we just, we want you to expand your mind. We want you to continue learning. We want you to continue researching. And, you know, Dr. Penn is absolutely correct. You know, we're not going to eradicate the church. It's just not going to happen. That will always be around. And it's just important that we find a way to get along and to find, you know, what we do happen to have in common and the common good of all, especially in communities of color when, you know, basically most of our issues are centered around social justice Mm -hmm. because there are certain privileges that we do not have and there are some people that do not want us to ever have those. But the only way we will be able to, you know, break down a lot of these barriers is we have to get out here and we have to fight for it. You know, sitting back and praying and and allowing God to handle it and getting our reward in heaven, that's not going to happen. 
And mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I want my just due now. I want my justice right. now. So this is why, you know, we've been stressing. It's time to put the marching boots on. That's why we're educating you on different public policies and issues that are happening out here. The Internet was the best thing to happen ever because now we're able to share more and more information. It used to be the little whisper campaign, whereas, you know, the people on the block would share information, the adults would get together, and that's how information was shared and propagated throughout, you know, communities of color. But now we have the Internet, um, you, know, you know, just a lot of different, you know, technological advances available to us, and now we're seeing the stories firsthand, stories that were once covered up or reduced to just being rumors and speculation. Now we're seeing that, you know, a lot of these rumors and speculations are true, and people are starting to become emboldened in which, you know, at one point in time, people were not arrested for pedophilia, for, you know, predatorial behaviors, for, you know, uh, you know embezzlement and, you know, laundering and all of that, and, you know, within the religious realm there in which I'm speaking. And now more and more people are, you know, coming under indictment and being jailed for those types of things. And, you know, Dr. Penn was correct. You know, if we can work with the church on sexual education as well as, you know, social justice, which sexual education is part of social justice because, you know, we've talked about it before. You know, um, a lot of people will point to some of these young folks, and especially the young women, well, why didn't you go and get some birth control and try to blame the young woman for the whole situation, whereas there are not a lot of Planned Parenthoods in a, in a hood. Sorry, mm-hmm. I know it's called Planned Parenthood, but they're not in the hood. You know, oh, oh, they're, you know they're hard mm-hmm. to reach. Yeah, yeah, it's true, though. But, you know, in addition it is true. to that, You're right. yeah. Yeah, and, but in addition to that, you see a lot of these churches are fighting back with the Affordable Care Act, you know, especially the Catholic Church. I posted an NPR um, interview on my wall in which it's talking about religion um, basically being in conflict with a changing society. And it was talking about a set of nuns that, you know, basically they're claiming to be conscientious objectors when it comes to birth control and with the Affordable Care Act making birth control available. So there's some pushback on that. That's also part of social justice. You know, these abstinence-only, you know, programs out here, you know, they do not work. You know, and Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. And so now there's pushback from that from, you know, some politicians in which they're trying to stop federal funding of abstinence-only programs because they do not work. So, you know, these are issues that you all need to be informed of, that you need to be aware of. We need to start writing letters. We need to start becoming engaged in the local politics as well as the federal politics. And in addition to that, you need to pay attention because, you know, just because a bill passed, you know, through Congress and was signed off by the president, you know, and now it's a law, basically, in some cases, the administration, the implementation of said bill is passed down to the state. And case in point is the Affordable Care Act, you know, Obamacare. And what's happening is there are some red states that are electing to not 
partake of the Affordable Care Act. And that is to the detriment of, you know, poor citizens, you know, poor residents of those particular states, primarily black and Latino poor. And so it's affecting mm-hmm. them more. They're, they're rejecting the expansion of Medicaid, even though it's going to be fully funded by the federal government. And these are issues, you know, that, you know, we're talking about. So that's going to be the lack of access to birth control for people. That's going to be the lack of access to mental health care. That's going to be the lack of access to doctors for um, what they call preventative, you know, diseases and disorders like you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, um, for someone like in my case, you know, I have lupus. If I lived in one of those particular red states that was, you know, um, rejecting the Affordable Care Act, you know, that would be basically putting me in a death trap, if you will, because I would not be able to get the insurance needed to take the medications. And, you know, the medications that I take are expensive. And I take a lot of medications. And this is just so that I can live and maintain, you know, a decent quality of life. So, you know, it's affecting a lot of people. And some of these people, you know, some people say get up and move. It's not that easy. You know, not everyone can just pick up and leave and move, you know. And someone in the chat room was talking about the death panel. That is a lie. There is no such thing as a death panel. That is a scare tactic. That is fear-mongering, and they're doing that to scare you into basically, to a certain degree, force people into voting against their best interests. And unfortunately, you know, what I've seen, especially with people that are living in poverty and especially people that are, you know, somewhat in religion, they vote against their own best interests. And what's happening, you know, and it kind of ties into today's conversation with Dr. Penn, is that basically you have people out here, a lot of these churches, who cannot provide answers, that do not have answers to provide and are not addressing the issues. So what they do is to keep the people, you know, um, rallied, if you will, is if they're not mad at the devil, they're mad at the government because of abortion and, you know, mad at the Supreme Court because it allowed abortion with Roe v. Wade, you know, or they're mad at marriage equality, or they're mad at just homosexuals in general. And there are a number of other, you know, issues, but they keep the people focused on those particular issues as opposed to the people dealing with issues at hand that are more pertinent and that are closer to where they're living and what they're dealing with, like, you know, wealth inequality, the lack of educational opportunities, the lack of economic opportunities. Um, in some cases, like here in Chicago, we have food deserts. Why are there not any grocery stores? And with the grocery stores, that provides jobs, that provides opportunities, you know, so the people should be, you know, rallying against, you know, those particular policies that, and holding their local politicians to account. So, you know, it's more to it, you know, and this is what I'm saying to, you know, the secular humanists, the atheists, free thinkers out there. There is more to this struggle than just no belief in God or not being sure if there is a God. You know, there's more to it than, you know, attempting to dismantle religion in totality. There is more to it because, you know, as I stated last week, and, you know, I'll go ahead and address 
you know, one of the comments that I made last week, one of the comments that I made was I feel as though, you know, with some people in the mainstream America and even including some people in the white atheist community that, you know, uh, basically they're wanting to dismantle the black church, if you will, is so that they could have some semblance of control of the black community. Now, I stand on that statement but I want to expand on it um, as well. And again, I said some, not all, because it goes back to what I was saying about just because you're an atheist that does not liberate you from some of your white supremacist thoughts and intentions, and there are some out there that have those intentions, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Um, It does not liberate you from your capitalist, um, you know, uh, ways, if you will, because... There are some out here, and I stand on this as well, that are only interested in having their membership numbers increase and only care about having their membership dues increase, you know, um, by having, you know, more members of color, if you will. But, again, they're not addressing our issues, you know. And so these are things that I definitely want to bring to your attention. So, yes, I stand on that statement, but I wanted to clarify it a little bit more so that people would have a better understanding as to, you know, where I'm coming from. And, again, when you go to some of these conferences or you just pay attention, the tickets are $150, $200, $250, and then you have to pay to get there to the conference. I don't know who's writing something, but I can hear you or if you're scratching on something. Um, But but, um, basically, you know, you have to pay for the transportation you have to pay for the hotel. You have to pay to get into these conferences. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And, yeah. you know, there are quite a few people in this community, black and white, that are at or below the poverty line, that, you know, even if they are a little bit above the poverty line, you know, they still have children to feed. They still have, you know, a mortgage or rent to pay. They still, you know, have to get their cars repaired. They simply cannot afford it. And, and they, then and they still won't have some people. They really right. won't have you know. Right, like exactly. That. Right, exactly. And so that's one of the reasons why people of color beyond faith, this is why, you know, we're out here and we're bringing the webcast, we're bringing this information to you because we understand. And then you also have some people who are not out of the closet because as Dr. Penn said, and he's accurate and we've talked about this on the show, there are some atheists and humanists that are still going to church, whether they're hiding in the church for whatever reason, for networking, business purposes, for not wanting to be ostracized or shunned by their family and friends because this is all that they know. This happens. And so these webcasts that we put out here, these interviews that we do, this is giving them some hope. It's giving them the opportunity to, you know, meld minds, if you will, with those who think like them. You know, so there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. We've talked about it on the show. We've had people call in in which there are some people who are non-believers, humanists, atheists, that still attend church because they can get a discount for the daycare or they can get a discount for sending their children to, the, you know, the church schools because they believe that their children will get a better education at those schools. So, you know, there are some reasons, but then, you know, the over, you know, you know the, the, the biggest reason why many people still attend church 
which, you know, gives us reason to have some of these groups is the social context. So when Dr. Ken was talking about, you know, basically us being social beings and it's a networking opportunity, it's an opportunity to socialize with people of like mind, this is why we have some of the local groups so that we can be like-minded and come together and socialize with one another. That's the importance of some of these groups, you know, and so, and that's okay. That's okay. That's a great thing, you know, but, you know, we also want to educate you as well. So this is why, you know, we, you know, tell you that we care about you. This is why we're bringing this forward, and this is why we're going to expand even more on what we're doing because there are people who are being marginalized. There are people who are being ignored. And we see that, and the same thing is happening to us. This is why we can speak on this. You know, there are some people that are ignoring us. There are some people that are marginalizing us, especially if we are not singing the song that they want us to sing, if we are not dancing to the beat that they're playing. You know, some people, you know, dance on the first and third beat. Other people dance on the second and fourth. That's just how it goes. You know, and so, you know, it's, it's just it's important. And that's why we do these shows, and that's why I tell you all the time to go back and check out the archives. We talked about a lot of different things. So, you know, we have two new shows, two new formats coming up this year. So, you know, basically be on the lookout for that. More information forthcoming. And, you know, we're doing this for you. And this is because we care about you. And there's a lot of research that goes into this. We have people, you know, you know, my colleagues, you know, they're doing this because they enjoy doing it. They enjoy informing you. So, you know, a little bit of support is welcomed and needed. And, you know, we thank you all for the support and the motivation and the encouragement that you have given us over the years. You know, again, April will be the end of our third year. We'll be going into our fourth year in April. So, you know, we appreciate it. And, you know, I received an email last week in which, um, you know, the writer addressed one of the callers to the show last week. And, you know, what I wanted to, you know, say to the person that emailed me was that particular person um is of that libertarian hue that Raina was talking about a little earlier. And so, you know, they see things a different way. But, I mean, I understand, you know, when you have people saying, well, I have no problems with homosexuals or I have no problems with blacks, but you keep that over there, keep that away from me, you know, that is a form of discrimination. Yeah. And so, you know... um, I agree. I I agree with you totally on that. But, again, you have to allow people to evolve. You have to allow them to evolve in their own time. But, yes, you do challenge it and you do critique it, and we did last week. But, you know, that particular individual is an older person and, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit more time than with others. And so, you know, that's how I would address that particular issue. But, you know, again, I thank you. And I do read the emails. I don't always have a chance to, you know, respond. And sometimes they don't even warrant a response because I'll address it on the air and let you know I I am in agreement with you on the points that you made in that letter that you sent me. So, you know, again, you know, it's been wonderful it's been a wonderful two and a half years. Wow, time has flown. Can you believe we've been on the air this long? 
No, I no, wish I had a no. I mean, I'm so glad I met you. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, you know, because I'm thinking, I'm down here in Virginia. Okay. I got so many people that are preachers and everybody in my family go to church. I'm the I'm the one that's left, you know. I'm the I'm the oddball, right? So you right. kind of get thinking that you something wrong with you. You know, you exactly. uh, the whole time, you know, the whole time I've been going through this, and I've been like studying for a while now. You know, for mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about like maybe about started. Oh man, it's been in my system. I thought something was wrong. You know, I I knew something was weird when I was in elementary school. But, you know, you couldn't talk to nobody. You just felt something, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So you kind of think you're weird. You know, that's all I'm saying. And I just, I'm just glad, you know, I'm just so glad that there's other people out there that, you know, that, that see things that like I do. That's all. Exactly, exactly, and you do, and, and that's and why I stress. Like, you got kids growing up like that. That's what I'm saying too. They, they need exactly. to know that they're not weird. Exactly, and that's why I tell you I stress you're not alone, and that's why we're expanding our platforms. You know, people of color beyond faith. We ask that you all support that project. It's a very, very important project, and we're expanding on it. And, you know, we're doing this for you. We're trying to, you know, let people know. And that's why whenever I have a guest, I always ask them to speak to the young people because I know what it was like when I was young and, you know, expressing doubt and asking questions and saying in the back of my mind, this is a bunch of BS. And the only way my mother could really convince me to go to church was to bribe me with food and money. So, you know, that was the only way I would go and not complain. But, you know, um, you know, we do this for you. And, you know, you know, and we thank you for your support, Deborah. You have been here, you know, and you are faithful. And we appreciate that. And I think Raina was about to say something as well. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead, Raina. No, 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 I don't have anything. I don't have anything to say. It's fine. Me too. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I mean, but, you know, we appreciate you too, Raina. I don't know what I would have done if I had not met you. And, you know, there have been a lot of people over the years, you know, that I've met, in particular since we started doing this show. And there are people that, you know, we've had disagreements, we've had falling out and all of that. I want to let them know I appreciate you too. And even though, you know, we've moved on and life goes on, I'm wishing you nothing but the very best. And, you know, I wish you well. And, you know, today is my birthday, so that's my birthday gift to you. So Happy birthday. Well, thank you very kind. Yes, happy birthday. And she already got my happy birthday wrist earlier, but oh. <laughs> happy birthday again. <laughs> so, happy you know, that's that, that, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's my gift. You know, my gift is to give back. And to let you guys know how much I do love you, how much I appreciate you, and how much I enjoy bringing these shows to you. I enjoy our guests. You know, and to me, you know, my the guests, my real guests, are the people that listen to us, you know, that call us and that send me emails and, you know, and, and inboxes. And so our other guests, you know, um, you know, I don't necessarily consider them guests. I consider them colleagues and friends of the show. 
So, you know, my guests, my special guests are those of you who may not have the opportunity to call in, who may not have the opportunity to inbox or email me for whatever reason, but I just want to let you know how much I care about you. And because if I didn't, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. And 2014, things are getting bigger, they're getting better. There's so many things that I want to tell you about that I just can't feel the beans right now. But trust me, happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me, happy birthday to me. This is going to be a wonderful year. It's going to be a wonderful mm-hmm. year. You know, we have a vision, and we are working to implement that vision, and that vision includes you, and it's for you. So, you know, again, we just want to make sure that you understand that. And, you know, for those that aren't Facebook friends to me, go out and look for Black Free Thinkers. If we go to the home page for this show here, it has the Facebook information, it has the Twitter information, the Tumblr information. I'm always posting information, you know, to hopefully enlighten you and to educate you and to make your life better. You know, I post some things to make you laugh, you know. And, yeah, one thing I want to stress is that sometimes we'll post satire. And so, you know, we don't want you taking the satire serious. I just wanted some chuckles and grins, okay? And so, you know, I want to make sure that you guys understand that as well. But, you know, Dr. Penn, he was absolutely magnificent. He hit on a lot of points today. You know, I would, you know, advise you to go back and, you know, listen to this again, especially if you didn't catch it from the beginning. And, you know, people of color beyond faith, you know, Donald Wright, Raina Rose, Dr. Hutchinson, and myself, you know, we thank you for the support that you've given us. Next Sunday we will be doing our webcast, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 o'clock Central Standard, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard and the invite will be going out this week, and, you know, again, it's for everybody, and the invite basically goes to the people who signed up on the page as well as, um, you know, people from our friends list. So keep an eye out for that. Every Thursday evening at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, we do a Twitter chat, and so we want to talk to you. So the hashtag is POCBeyondChat, and, you know, um, in the future, we know Dr. Hutchinson will be doing one of the web chats. You know, we're going to encourage her to do a couple of them, and Donald Wright as well. And one more reminder, the Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers is every year, the last Sunday in February, every year. So this year, it's Sunday, February the 23rd. And again, if, you know, if you only have one other person to go out to lunch with or to go get some coffee, do that. 99-cent cup of coffee at McDonald's. You know, not that I advocate McDonald's or anything, and you know, but whatever. <laughs> you know, um, you know, because they're they're not a sponsor, but you know, we just want you all to get to know each other, and it's not just for people of color. This is open to everyone. Get to know somebody other than yourself. You know, we encourage you to you know get to know about people, other cultures outside of your own. That is healthy. That is very healthy to know about people outside of your own culture. Um, And that's why I post information about, you know, the civil rights movement in the Latino community. I post up information about the Young Lords. A lot of people don't realize that the Young Lords was an offshoot of the Black Panthers. And Geraldo Rivera, of all people, came from that particular group set of people. And so, you know, we just 
you know, we want to make sure that you know about different things like that. Um, we want you to know about the Asian culture and, you know, how during the Civil Rights Movement there were a lot of Asian Americans that stood with us. Um, there was a Twitter hash, Black Power, Yellow Peril. And so I posted a lot of information about that as well. You know, we had a lot of white allies as well. And I post information about that as well. And it's just as important for you all to know the history, not only the history of our communities, but the history of other communities. And, you know, I encourage you to continue to read. I encourage you to continue to ask questions. Asking questions is healthy, you know, as opposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, some of my experience, you know, in religion. When you start asking too many questions, people get angry. We want you to ask questions. That is healthy. That is a good thing. Google is your friend. Okay? Now, not everything on the Internet is kosher. Can't believe right. everything you read. Okay? That's right. That's <laughs> want to yeah. stress that. You want to stress that. And, you know, if you reach out to us, you know, we will reach back to you. And that's why we put the information out there. You go to the Tumblr page, Twitter page. My personal hashtag is Black Free Thinkers. So it's hashtag Black Free Thinkers. We have a hashtag for people of color beyond faith, and that is hashtag POCBF. And if you go under those hashtags, you will see article after article after article. You know, and I've opened up my Facebook page. So if you're following me on Facebook, I have opened up a lot of that information. And as a matter of fact, I'm still thinking about converting my entire Facebook page to a public profile. I'm still debating as to whether I want to do that and then just make me a personal profile and go from there. But in the meantime, you know, we make that information available. We'll have the Google Plus account. We have the archives. You know, my thing is I want to share with you this information because, like I said, a lot of this stuff, you know, is is locked in books and academia. And if you don't know what to read, you won't receive this information. And I don't believe in hoarding information. I don't believe in hoarding knowledge. I just think if you read it and learn from it, wonderful. If you forego it, I understand, but it's always there for you to go back as a reference point. So this is for you. It's always for you. We love you. We thank you. And we are going to go ahead and wrap this up today. But, again, you know, our heart goes out to you guys. And... This is Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. You all have a beautiful Sunday afternoon. You know, it's not 40 below with the wind chill in Chicago. We are up to a whopping 35 degrees. I think I am going to go and get in my car. So on that note, we're out, and you all have a good one. Take care. Have a beautiful one. Bye. Too, dear. Bye-bye.